0: Welcome to Catholic stuff you should know, a J10 initiative. Shall we begin? We have begun. We have begun. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, welcome back to Denver, Colorado. Hey. We're in a different locale here. Uh, I am. I almost called you Deacon Joe, but that's two more years. No, Deacon John and Joe. But only one more month for Father John. Yeah, Thirty-two days. So we're getting getting close. Very well. exciting stuff. Uh, we. Uh, yeah, it's just a fun time. We got, uh, we are in the midst of Holy Week in podcast recording time, podcast publishing time. Well, it still will be. This is coming yeah, out tomorrow.
1: this is coming out tomorrow, right? There you go. And it's th- really dark in here.
0: It is. I'm going to turn the light on. Turn the light on, and I'm going to stall by talking about uh, the fact that this podcast will be 15 minutes long <laughs> and no longer because... A certain somebody who I'm recording with is in the pool tournament championship. Oh, gonna talk about this? We're going to talk about it. Joe Doman uh, is going to be uh, playing the Doc Nyans for the championship of the Big Lenten Pool Tournament, which we have every year. This is like the sixth year in a row we've done at the seminary. Yeah, did you win it before? I have, and you've won it before, haven't you? I have. Thank you for you. You are
1: in the presence of <laughs> two pool
0: champions. The presence of greatness here. So that keeps us. Um, on the clock, and I've already wasted 30 seconds. I know. Why are you stalling if we only have 15 well, minutes to do this? Well, I'm also stalling because i got a lift with Lebsock before uh, we start our retreat. We're starting a retreat in about two hours, and so we're kind of cramming everything in at the last minute. Again, cool. that
1: makes that does not explain why you're stalling, unless you want to be late for—
0: you know. I guess I want to be late. It's uh, Tuesday, which means it's Gun Show Tuesdays with our friend Chris Lebsock, who is a—he uh, looks like Hulk Hogan. He's this beast of a man. He's in seminary, Base a real gentle, gentle guy, but he's just this, like— college football linebacker who like we do like uh i have a busted up ankle so all we do is his meathead lifts just like exactly dumbbells. i was gonna
1: say now because
0: your ankle's busted up all you can do is just lift upper body no i'm looking forward to that and actually it's just funny i have this bible study with young adults and they know me pretty well but they were like you guys lift weights they were like what that's weird Ooh, i was just so like cool. what do you think we do uh you know it's like i don't know people have funny conceptions of our life do you and
1: Levsock do that uh do, don't you? doesn't he do that thing where each time before you lift a set, you, like, start screaming and he, like, cracks you in the face no, no, and then you
0: start lifting? That's Carroll College's football team did that. He, Chris is from Montana, but uh, he does not do that with me. He just steps on my ankle. No, I'm just joking. Um, does he do the uh,
1: the punishment thing, he calls it? No, he doesn't
0: do the punisher. We do listen to Metallica, though. So you're learning a lot about the inner workings of seminary life here, the, the jealousies and the rivalries that make up with the pool tournament and all the kind of freakish meathead, meathead lifting techniques that Chris Lepsock does. He'll be thrilled we're talking about him. So with that in mind, uh, there's no connection to the topic, which you don't even know about, do you? Uh, you mentioned to me, but I wasn't listening. Okay, this this podcast is dedicated to a certain group of people who may or may not be listening to this, but that's beside the point. I told them I would do this. Uh, a week and a half ago, I gave a, um, I gave a talk, 45-minute talk to um, – The parents of the kids who are going to be confirmed at St. Francis Cabrini, my home parish in Littleton. So this is for all of them. So I want to say hello to all of you who may be listening. We're hoping to get this out to them. But essentially what we wanted, what they requested, was a recorded version, a mini version of the talk. This is the 15-minute, like, super short version, which will be much more enjoyable than what they had to endure. A week really? A so the, you're like killing two birds with one stone? Yeah. So I said, cool. yeah, why don't I do a podcast on it? I think it's very interesting. Um, the topic is uh, kind of, I don't know how to sum it up. We'll see what we have actually publish it as. But essentially what I want to talk about is this. We are living in a time of change, and there is a sociological conditions conditioning that's happening to young people, to our generation, that's unlike anything that's happened in the history of the world before. It's changing us in a very profound way, and it's changing the way or, or way that we're not able to engage the faith. So for what I was talking to was these parents of freshmen in high school who um, have been completely affected by changes, sociological changes that are happening in the culture that they're appropriating without even realizing it, and that the parents oftentimes don't even realize the effects of it, even though these things are basic and they understand it. So the three ch- fundamental changes that I want to talk about today um, – all in some way have to do with the technological revolution that's been kind of undergoing since the the last couple hundred years in some form, but especially in the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. The world has changed more in the last 30 years than it has in the 300 years previous. Uh, Profound, profound change is moving at at an unbelievable pace, and it's affecting our generation in a really specific way, and I want to talk about those three things briefly so that we can help understand why, and the argument is this. Given the sociological climate of the time, the traditional forms of christian life christian living are becoming unlivable let me say that again so given the changes that are happening in our culture sociological changes they're ma- they're rendering the traditional forms of christian life unlivable what do you mean by traditional forms i mean family life marriage and then the priestly culture they're radically affecting the the vocations and the and the the common life that used to and has established and has held Christianity together for 2,000 years and has been the conduit of faith and the way of transmitting the tradition of the church. They're collapsing. They're collapsing in our culture right now, and they're radically changing. And the forces that are doing that, the sociological changes, are not necessarily evil. The three that I want to talk about are technology, mass media, and uh, mobility, mobility in terms of like automobiles primarily. So these two things are all morally neutral. So we're not talking about like evil things or this evil empire. I'm not talking about like MTV or any of this stuff. I'm just speaking broadly and very generally here about things that are actually very good and that in some ways really affect uh, and improve our life. But in other ways are radically changing the way that um, young people engage the truth and thus are able to either able to or are not able to engage the faith and appropriate it and live it.
1: This is like a serious topic.
0: This is serious, but I am very passionate about it. So, I hope I am not losing anybody. So, let's talk about technology first. You want to talk about technology first? Let's do it. Okay, technology, and I am at five minutes and thirty-nine seconds. You're Just, you are know, doing great. Okay, good. I'll, I'll let you know. Start, I'll start tapping my our that, watch. Ah, that's what I do to you. You have that glazed-over look in your eye, like, okay, great, great, yeah, yeah. Technology, that's great. I want to go play pool. I'm <laughs> a, yeah. So, um, the, the fundamental aspect of technology is that I want to speak about is like the way that technology is changing communications. Okay, so and this is just obvious stuff, obvious stuff. But you have now, uh, when I was in high school, I think I got a cell phone like junior year. Did you have a cell phone?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I got a cell phone for, like sophomore year.
0: Okay, so the cell phone I had was one of those old Nokia ones, but it had Snake. That was about it. There was no such thing as text messaging. Snake was, we, we I was played, awesome. We snake. played Snake. Everybody thought they were awesome at Snake. So yeah, we played Snake. Um, we didn't have text messaging. What, what's happening is that communication is moving at a faster pace. And we're able to communicate quicker, but we're communicating at a, at a more surface level with everything, everything. So what you have is that when you have kids now, now it's middle schoolers, elementary school kids who have cell phones and they're engaging and they're texting, they're learning to communicate at a faster and faster pace at an earlier, earlier age. So they're not actually able to get to a deeper level of communicating, i.e. especially in a personal way. So what's happening is that culturally we have kids who can communicate faster more immediately, and um, more, but cannot go beyond a certain depth. Now, this is obvious stuff, where this is just truisms that we're spinning out here. But the effects of this are very, very profound. Because what's happening is that with an increased technology of communication, you have a depersonalization that's happening in our culture in a profound way. Right. So the human heart remains the same. The human heart still has its needs for intimacy, for for communion. Um, and it's being stripped of that. The basic ways that we use our senses in order to facilitate the deeper needs of communion. Because communication all comes back down to one fundamental thing. I desire to be known and to know others, other people. I'm made for relationships. I'm fundamentally made for that. And that's what the, the heart automatically expresses. But we're moving to a place where technology is moving communication so quickly that we're unable to facilitate that desire of the heart what i guess what i'm trying to say is that the the way that we're communicating is no longer in accord with the nature of the heart and we're not able to express that and we're not able to deal with it and what we're having is people who have profound profound struggles with intimacy and with loneliness and in isolation Mm -hmm. in a world that's communicating all the more
1: yeah isn't that funny i mean so i guess what let me just bounce Mm this off this is what you're saying that we had this fundamental desire we have is to know and to be known but the way that communication happens now with most most young people isn't meeting those desires. Exactly, they're not being known, and they're not really knowing. It's, it's all on a
0: surface level. Exactly, and I mean, yeah. and I'm knowing more people, right? I think I have 600 friends on Facebook. My brother has like 1,500. Are they friends? No, they're not friends, but, but I like to think it's like I'm in, I like to think I'm in communication with all of these people. I'm able to be in relationship with them. But the problem is, Joe, and this is just this Nepple here, this is me spewing this out we've, dis, we've now separated relating relationship with communication. Communicating and relating are fundamentally different things that are happening. Okay, So we're Mm. able to communicate constantly. But we're not relating. But we're not actually relating, which means I'm not articulating, I'm not speaking from the heart in a personal way, in an intimate way to this other. And I I get so caught up in this frenzy of communicating constantly that I'm actually in in no way able to relate to the people around me, especially to my parents, especially to those who want to communicate the most or who want to relate to me in a deep way, communicate Mm. in a profound way. Um, that's what we're missing. At the heart of the Christian faith is communion with the triune God. So this language of communication communication, is actually at the very heart of the faith. God desires to communicate himself in faith. But when you have a culture— Not through a text message, though. Exactly. The way that you strip this down is that you're literally unable to communicate at a deeper level. If people cannot—if if kids our, our age or younger cannot communicate— with other people, they're not going to be able to communicate uh, with the Trinity, with God, which is what prayer is, which is why it doesn't make any sense. When you go tell them, go pray, it's like, I I don't know how to pray because I can't even have a conversation with you. I don't even know how to relate to you. We can talk about things, but I literally am am getting to a point where I cannot even relate to persons, which let alone means to divine persons, to the the Godhead. Does that make sense? No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's And what you just
1: said, I mean, we were just talking about this yesterday at the uh, New Translation thing with communication and communion. Is that why you were talking about
0: that? Well, yeah, that's what made me think of it.
1: Which makes a lot of sense because communication is at the heart of our faith. Communication with the divine who is constantly in communication with himself. Exactly. But that word communication itself just kind of – it denotes a lot of different things now than just a relationship if it denotes – What Joe is
0: is referring to is a really good uh, conference we had yesterday on the new translation of the match, which was great, which uh, confirmed everything you taught me last year. Uh, Wasn't that you who did? uh, Oh, right, new translation, yeah. Which was great, um, but it showed that Joe actually knew what he was talking about. (laughs) Who knew? I didn't even know until uh, yesterday. uh, um, You know, equivalence, dynamic equivalence, all that stuff. But uh, at the beginning of every Mass, we say, Um, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, what he was talking about is the word fellowship is communicatio, the communication of the Holy Spirit. And he was trying to express the theology that the Holy Spirit is the communication between the Father and the Son, the self-giving, self-disclosure, self-manifesting love that is the life of God and is the Holy Spirit. That we are invited into. Exactly. And the only way that God speaks is by communicating himself through the Son in the Holy Spirit. So literally we have lost um, a way of the authentic communication by because of technology has kind of ramped it up so much. We've taken something that's essential to our nature because it's essential to the to the life of God, communication, and now we've magnified it and made it superficial, uh, but we're losing the essence of it, which is the the disclosure of the person.
1: Yeah, so in the New Translation, they were going to translate it, you know, love of God and the Communication of the Holy Spirit, but you're they right. decide not to because when people hear communication, they think like, you know, yeah, a cell phone or something, exactly. and yeah. so they're going to say communion of the Holy Spirit, which, which sounds which nice. is it good, but it loses some of the
0: dynamism of communication. But now you know the the Latin actually is the communication of the Holy Spirit. Interesting. So there you go. That's the first part. You have thir- you're on thirteen minutes. Yeah. Okay. Second part. <laughs> mass media. Here's the here's the gist of it. Uh, we're totally saturated in. Media. Completely saturated in it. We're we're beyond our saturation point, so to speak. Every single one of us. We're we're inundated with it constantly. We don't even realize it, but we're constantly being told what's happening. Now, you can say, well, what's the problem with that? Well, they're just learning about the news. They're learning about the world. True. But the world is shifting in the way that it communicates um, primarily information about the world. So the first thing we were talking about was technology via communication. Now we're talking about is communication. How is information, not people, how is information um, transmitted? We're moving from print to image. This is very, very important from a world of print to a world of image. My father graduated from West Point Academy in, I better get this right. He was born in 55. So it would have been 68, 72. Seventy-seven, seventy-eight. That right. No, 77. Seventy-seven. Okay, so he, uh, um, he had to read the newspaper, New York Times front to cover every morning before six a.m., and he would be quizzed on it every day. My grandparents, all of the news came through relating through kind of an oral farm culture but it was about print. You read, you engage the tradition of the world, you engage the information that was happening around through print, through reading. Now reading activates the intellect in in a very specific way. So it works in a similar way as, as orally as when someone speaks to you, it engages you in a different way, but we've shifted. Now we don't read primarily the information that we receive. We receive it through images. Now this is what's important. Images don't primarily engage the intellect first. When I see something, it doesn't affect my intellect like it does when I read something. What the image does is it it stirs my emotions. So when you have a media force with an agenda, and we're just going to presuppose that, that there is an ideology that's being pushed by the media at large here, when they are speaking these things, and they're doing it through images constantly, television, whatever it is, and it's coming. It's moving my emotions. So what's happening is that kids have learned from an early age that all information that they receive about the world is actually stirring their emotions. And what's happening is they're being told, this is how you feel about this. So when when information is passed through the media, it's not, I'm engaging this, I'm reading this, and I'm able to intellectually make a judgment. They can't make a judgment. They just are moved emotionally and they feel in the act of their emotions so their whole life they're being formed by information that moves the 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 um the emotions so when you say to them don't just do what feels good they're like that's how i know how to think it's replaced how i think it's it's replaced my intellectual life is by just doing what feels right and i get moved this way and i act this way and i think and i appropriate these things because this is what it moves me to do it's a profound shift but it's happening sociologically moving from a world of print to a world of image very very important very very effective in what's happening to our world. Cool. Number 3. Oh, we're already over time. No, it's alright. I'm just my question is what does this have to do with Catholic stuff? Uh, hold on, man. This is
1: good. I mean, I'm I'm light and loving minutes. it.
0: Oh, just no, keep going. Don't worry about 15 if minutes. If you're a Catholic parent, this has a lot to do with your life right now, okay? Because Alicia, be that. who we always talk about, <laughs> that's <laughs> why your sister has kids who are, like, getting younger and younger, and they're all going to want Facebook, and they're all going to want these different things. And if she doesn't realize, like, this is how it's affecting them in a very important way, um, they, it's just, she's going to be worse off. So no, it's huge. We have to be aware of it. We have to be aware of it. Number so, th- but I will... The third one. Yeah, here's the third one. Mobility. Mobility. Okay. So what you have is teenagers... Young people with the ability, the freedom, really for the first time, this is a cultural phenomenon where they can drive anywhere. They can go anywhere they want. They don't have a home base. They don't have a place that is central. They're not kind of restricted, so to speak, to the village, to the town, to the whatever it is. It's it's a mass cultural shift that's happening, and it's shifted with the automobile where all of a sudden we have access to things, we have a license, we have a freedom to do whatever we want, to move wherever we want, and we can move away from these things. So let's go back to the first one. Let's say I have a kid who's not engaging. He just can't engage his friends, his family in intimacy because of the way he's learned to communicate growing up. He can't receive information without being stirred emotionally, so he can't really even think. Well, now he has the freedom to kind of get away from traditional um, structures like my family, my friends, my church, whatever it is. But he has the freedom to kind of get away from that. And what it does is it feeds that isolation in a deeper way. So what you have is um, uh, uh, the world is just really shifting by the automobile. And we don't even really think about that. I can move so quickly. Yeah, I can go wild. anywhere so quickly. I can move um, at any location anytime I want. I can go, I can go wherever I want tonight after a 5 o'clock thing um, like that. And I'm not accountable to anybody. Mm-hmm. You don't know where I'm going after that. And neither does such – and I like that because I want to keep everyone out because fundamentally the needs of the heart are not being expressed and I don't trust – the. and this is the bottom line. I'm living in a world where I don't trust to disclose myself. I don't desire to communicate myself because I've I've been burned. I've been emotionally manipulated uh, and now I have the ability to isolate myself if I want to with mobility. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it is really wild. I mean you talked about how the world has changed so much in the last 30 years and it has and it's just another way we're – Like the fact that I can be 20 miles from here in a half an hour is just crazy. Whereas like 100 years ago, that would be like
0: unthinkable. The pace of life was so slow, but it was really, really important. It was a very slow pace, but it it was just fundamental to the way that we moved because you could think about what you were doing in a deeper way. We can act so quickly now on anything. I can fire off an email if I'm pissed off at you and do that right away. And I can, I can hurt you in a way and then regret it. But, I mean, if anyone's ever done that, you can experience that. And you can say, oh, my gosh, I don't know if this was really the good thing, but it's so easy to do. Now we have it on our phones. I can fire that thing off immediately instead of actually thinking through, wait a second, maybe I'm not in a good place. Maybe this isn't true. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know to do but that.
1: The, but these are all great things. I mean, these are great. Things. I mean, they're awesome. But what is the Are – you're saying the main challenge these things present, though, is that it – the way that we relate to each other needs to change, or we kind of need to adapt with that, or how does that... So what does this have to do with Catholic
0: stuff? Here's why. We have not thought creatively about how to structure um, our approach to evangelization, how to catechize, how to minister in a world that's shifting this quickly. We still have structures, institutions, and things in place from 50 years ago. Such as? Um, The way that we do programming, programming, Religious education programs, um, the way that we do everything from confirmation to young adult ministry to um, everything, elderly ministry, That we're not considering the sociological climate um, in the way that we approach evangelization. Let me give you an example. What kids desire more than anything— um, is to know that they're loved. They know that their parents love them, but they, they desire to know in a profound way that, that someone really does love them. Now, how do we do that? Well, what we've been trying to do for the last 30 years is bring them into youth groups and, and really give them experience of loving each other and, and encountering God in that. Well, the the traditional model of youth ministry is not working. It's just not working. It, it kind of has effects. My my conversion came through that, kind of, but it's people who do it. It's not youth groups. It's not a program. We have to. So what I'm proposing is that we have to shift to a more profoundly personal, more profoundly relational and profoundly intimate approach to evangelizing young people, high school kids we have to go to a different model because they're so starved and they're so unable to relate 80 years ago my grandmother growing up in a small catholic town she would have had catholic friends they would have had a tight knit and these families would have been very close they would have spent time together it's not happening anymore we have to reconsider that there's there's certain things that there are still existing but we We're not back in the Catholic ghettos anymore. We have to think, how am I going to engage this completely isolated teenager who's separated from his family, even though they love him. He has total access to do whatever he wants, and he's been infiltrated by an agenda in the media that has stirred his emotions for his whole life. How do I now engage him? Well, I I have to break through that in a very radical relational way, and that means what we refer to as discipleship. We have to go back and have a creative retrieval of what the gospel is proposing and how Jesus conforms and lives this life and we have to think creatively about what our marriage and our family looks like and we've talked about that a little bit we have to we have to think about what our priesthood is going to look like what will sustain us through such a completely um unbelievable cultural upheaval that's happening how how will we how will we channel deal with that challenge and i don't have the answers and uh i'm already five minutes over so we don't have the we don't have the time right now to lay it out
1: no it but, is really interesting though i mean because what it's almost like a bigger risk in some sense because we can't just assume people are going to are going to receive the faith, you know, just because they're in the church or because they're in a Catholic family. Uh, so that's scary, but it's also a greater challenge to the people who are in the faith that if you really want to pass on the faith to the people you love or uh, your children or to friends uh, or to the kids in your youth group, it's not about getting them into some program or exactly. teaching them something. I mean, those things need to happen as far as teaching them. They need to be catechized. Right. But fundamentally— people would desire to have a relationship with Christ because they have a relationship with someone who knows Christ. Exactly. And they 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 say I want with this. I mean I was just talking to one of my uh, one of my Bible study guys from when I was working at uh, the high school before seminary. And he just decided. I mean this kid was, he just got his conversion in high school when I met him and I kind of grabbed him right after his conversion and said, "Hey, we're going to do this Bible study." So h- me and him and four or five of his friends got together. And he's kind of been, and this is like three or four years ago. And he's kind of been on the fence. He's in college now, and he's, you know, he's living his faith, trying to, but he's not really completely. Right. But something just snapped the other day, and he is going to go to Calcutta and wow. live with the Missionary of Charity. Yeah. Um. And he's and he's dropping a scholarship, and he's just going to go. And he's like, I know, I just know. And he's doing this with a buddy of his, and they both are at the same place, but so they're kind of on the fence in their faith. But they're just like, I know, I just need to do this. Right. And I and what's kind of pushed him to this point is that he. He he knew what by the time he was in college, because when he met me, I was just coming out of college um, and I I, he kind of seen himself like I want to be like Doman and his friends. You know, I want to be like these guys and he sees himself not going that direction because he's not totally living his faith. And so whatever that was, the spirit used that and just pushed him to say, I want to go give everything. I want to go all out for the faith. Right. Or else, I don't want to do it at all anymore. Right, and I, I, think, but at the heart of that, really, wasn't a catechesis or anything. It was just a relationship. Exactly, And It's a beautiful, and I know, you know, the guys who, you know, some guys that John's had in Bible study have gone to seminary and and tried to give them give their lives to Christ uh, because of his witness. Um, and we don't say this out of pride. We just say this because this is this is how this works. You know, yeah. people, and I, I know for myself, I gave my life to Christ because I saw other men and other women who were doing it, and I was like, gosh, I want what they have. Exactly. I don't know Christ. I'm not doing this because I love Christ yet, because I don't really know him, but I know I know, I want what these people have, and, and that we, got me And them. this
0: is our task. When we speak about the mission of the church, when we speak about the, the um, essential call to evangelization, this means I don't care if you're a married man with five kids, if you're a single guy looking for your wife, if you're a priest, if you're a religious sister, it doesn't matter. Your call is fundamentally to transmit the life of Christ to them through your humanity in relationship with them. And in any way that we're not doing that, that a a program, that a structure of the church is not rooted in that, it's not fundamentally a human encounter, I think we need to question why it exists. And I think we're moving to a place where it it shouldn't. It needs to happen. It has to happen. There's only one way that Christ will transmit uh, his life, the triune life, and that is through people. And we have to we have to kind of dust it off, so to speak, and make everything profoundly personal. And so I say, uh, death to programming. And this is a very <laughs> bold thing, but um, it, it'd be interesting. It'd be good to get some emails back on this one and see what you think. Yeah, but, it'd be uh, interesting. So know. that's kind of a broad, uh, vague topic, but nevertheless, I hope it's helpful to our Cabrini parents who might be listening. So
1: that is awesome. Well, good. this is this is all what Vatican II is about in so many ways too. It was about Integrating, letting the faithful and the whole church uh, really integrate the faith and the liturgy and everything into their life. So exactly. they're, li- and this is because, and maybe the Holy Spirit, and maybe the people in the church uh, behind Vatican II foresaw the changes happening uh, and the way that communication was just going to challenge the way we relate to each other so much. And if the faith needs to be transmitted, it needs to be at a personal level now exactly. because the the culture that is that the, like so many of the generations before us have grown up in has have. Has kind of died. And the, it's exactly, on.
0: the cultures, the traditional Catholic cultures, and, and Pope Benedict has said this: the, the traditional Catholic cultures are are they are in decline. Which means that the personal relationships have to come to the fore. We cannot rely on cultural structures or constructs to provide uh, and transmit the faith. There you go. That's enough. Cut me off. I'm cutting you all off. That.
1: All right. How about I read an email? Will okay. Cut one, you email, off? one email. One email. It's, minutes, it's not <laughs> eleven minutes over. All right. It's all right. Okay, this is from Megan. Megan. Megan in Vegas. Um, she says, hey, guys. She says, I returned to the church last week after six years. She said this email two weeks ago. So, Megan, that's awesome. That's she awesome. says, after my divorce, I felt too ashamed to go like I didn't belong. I'm blessed to have an amazing friend who told me just to try. And if they kick you out, then you'll know for sure. But just try. She kept <laughs> urging me. So I did. She said she spent almost 20 minutes in the confessional with a very gentle and understanding priest who welcomed her back. I stayed for the Rosary after Mass, um, and I'm thrilled to my core to have reconnected with my faith. I'd missed it so much, and I was so hungry for more the next day that I searched for a podcast to listen to at work to help me stay connected, and I found you guys. And what a breath of fresh air. In a week, I've almost gone through all of them. That's a lot of podcasts. That's a lot of podcasts. She's, she's using too much media right here. This media. is a great example. No, no. You can never just, have too much of our podcast. I just, want, I just wanted to say thank you for feeding my spiritual cravings and teaching me so much with some good laughs in between. Exactly what Man, I need. Megan, Megan, that is awesome. Yeah, I
0: just thought that was a great email, so I wanted to share that. That's awesome. And Megan, you know, as uh, a guy who's going to be hearing uh, confessions in 32 days, pray for my soul. Pray that I have that gentleness and patience because that's, that's the kind of priest I want to be. Uh, but then you see your own. Weakness, and uh, you just have to have people praying for you. So that's a great email. Thanks, Megan. That's all for today, Joe. Uh, all, right. all
1: right. Questions, comments, other things that you want to talk to us about? Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com, and you can check us out on Facebook, Catholic Stuff Podcast.
0: 2744.